Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Given that Lisa Raitt had to delete and apologize for a mild-mannered tweet about climate change, the question arises, just what exactly do the Andrew Scheer Conservatives actually stand for? Ezra Levent will try to solve this riddle Hey, are you up for a career change? Do you wanna earn, oh, 200,000 bucks for only 240 days worth of work? Well then, check this out. Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland is hiring a special advisor to help out on that pesky Venezuela file. Just one hitch, however, you must confirm to the Trudeau Liberals that you cherish the odious political system that is communism. Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the inexplicable details. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my coverage of a group of eco-fanatics that decided to shut down a major Toronto intersection during rush hour to bring attention to the so-called climate crisis. And what did they achieve? Well, a whole lot of peeved off people who were completely inconvenienced. And these SJWs also actually increased the carbon footprint in the immediate area, thanks to causing hundreds of cars to idle in gridlock. Winning! Those are your Rebels, now let's round them up. So what exactly did Lisa Raitt say in the first place that she was bullied into deleting and then groveling about? Here, her opponents kept screenshots of the original offenses because that way they can get the best of both worlds. They can use these to mock Lisa Raitt to environmentalist voters and they can use her renunciation to mock her to conservative voters. You never win anyone over, by the way, by doing this. Do you think that any Green Party or any Liberal Party voters are suddenly going to vote Conservative because Lisa Ray embarrassed herself like this. Here's what she was groveling over. This is a, this is a screenshot of what she deleted, just to be clear. She was reading a, a little tweet, uh, a note by an accomplished global warming scientist himself, Ross McKittrick, international reputation, well known for debunking Al Gore's hockey stick graph that purports to show that global warming and carbon dioxide have been steady, 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 and then suddenly shot up on a graph that's shaped like a sideways hockey stick. So McKittrick proved that was a, a laughable, unscientific fake, you know. Everything was fine, 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 then boom. So McKittrick is smart, he's well-regarded, and he's a critic of the theory of man-made global warming. And as you can see in that tweet there, he says, which is very interesting, he put it back up on the screen just for a moment. He said that the government's latest statement on global warming, do you see it there, it says it's not what you might expect from the alarmist media coverage. Instead, it's measured, rooted in data, and interesting. So you can even say that's a bit of a backhanded compliment to Trudeau and his government. And Lisa Raitt simply retweeted Ross McKittrick saying, it's not as bad as the media says. And she adds, lots to read in this thread. In some, data don't lie. Now, I'm not going to take you through all of what Ross McKittrick said, but it's moderate and thoughtful and scholarly and... Just for saying, read what this guy is saying, she, she takes down her tweets and issues a self-denunciation. 
So has it really come down to this with just the smallest amount of political pressure, with just the tiniest tidbit of media party criticism, the Andrew Scheer conservatives automatically halt, retreat, retract, and then throw in the white flag of surrender? That certainly seems to be the case given the most recent public display of conservative capitulation, namely Lisa Raitt deleting and apologizing about a tweet that, given the facts of the matter, did not deserve deletion nor an apology in the first place, at least not as far as the conservative base is concerned. But that's Andrew Scheer for you, someone desperately seeking approval and adulation from those usual suspects that will always hold him and his party in contempt, no matter what he does. Sad, isn't it? And with joining me now with more on Lisa Raitt's embarrassing social media odyssey, is our very own Rebel Commander, Ezra Levant. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Well, thanks very much. You know, Ezra, I got to ask you, what exactly do the Conservatives stand for? Because there was a brilliant part in your commentary where you said this was really win-win for their enemies. You can take Lisa Raitt's screenshot tweet that she since deleted and show to the environmental crowd, see, this is what she believes. And then you can take that to the conservative base and say, look, see how she folds and throws you under the bus. So what is going on here? You know, I wish I had the perfect uh, memory of it, but in Hamlet, um, <laughs> Hamlet. Shakespeare um, has this line, the appetite grew with the eating. And I'm sorry, that's not a perfect uh, quote I should Sounds I should good to me. Up. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, isn't it strange? Your appetite grows by eating. And uh, uh, that's what happens when you give a win, an unforced error to your opponents in politics. They yeah. say, oh, well, that tasted pretty good. I've acquired a taste for that. Let me eat a little bit more because they seem to be giving me wins that I don't have to earn. I can achieve through their own lack of confidence and courage what I couldn't achieve on my own. What I'm saying is the liberals and the media party hate it when someone is against the carbon tax, when someone is a skeptic of the theory of man-made global warming, or at least skeptical that, um, that a carbon tax will change the weather. Yeah. I think a lot of Canadians are skeptical about that too. But if you can get your conservative opponent to humiliate themselves, to confess that they were wrong, to throw any other conservatives under the bus, you've got a double win. You've confirmed that everyone sane agrees with the liberal point of view. You've demoralized your base and, and made them say, well, why? what's the purpose of being a conservative anymore? But most importantly, do you think that you have sated the appetite of your enemy? Do you think he's full now? Do you think he has lost his taste? for conservative blood. And it was the actual wording of one of Lisa Raitt's tweets. Don't don't come for me anymore, okay guys? Which was like, <laughs> yeah, go after, like if I would, I mean the media party will surely do this. They'll go after, they'll interview every single other conservative MP or candidate and say, well Lisa Raitt has abandoned this point of view. Have you, are you at odds with your own deputy leader? It's It was so politically dumb. And I know whenever I criticize Andrew Scheer for being a liberal light, conservative party supporters say, Ezra, what are you doing? There's only one party that can beat Justin Trudeau. It must be Andrew Scheer. I agree with that. I mean, I like Maxime Bernier, but I don't think he's going to win a seat other than his own in Beauce, Quebec. And I think, in fact, there's a possibility that he might shave some 
5%, 10% off in some other key ridings. Well, the answer to that is for Andrew Scheer to be a strong conservative that enthuses and excites the base, that makes those Bernier supporters who've gone to Bernier because of his strength of policy and communications want to come back. And, and being milquetoast and wishy-washy and throwing meat to the lions thinking, oh, this will fill them up, it doesn't work. And they've done this on everything from free speech yes. to global warming to the United Nations. And part of our job here at The Rebel is not to be a partisan repeater of talking points. If you want your Andrew Scheer talking points, sign up at his website. You'll get them every day. Enjoy. Our job here is to have a higher ideological commitment to conservative ideas, not only to show people what the conservative view is, but to hold so-called conservative politicians to account. And we want Andrew Scheer to be conservative, not only because we think it's the right thing, but because we think it'll win elections. I, look at, I know you want to ask me a question. Let me throw one more thing at you. <laughs> yeah. Look at Australia. Yes. Their right of center party was supposed to lose their election. Correct. But they opposed bringing back the carbon tax. They won. Around the world, parties that opposed Brazil. it. Yeah. Brazil. Yeah. Look at uh, the yellow jacket, the yellow vest protests in Paris, which are coming up on, well, they're more than half a year old now. Yeah. That's uh, an anti-carbon tax protest. So... And what, last point, Pew Research asks um, people in the States and around the world to rank their concerns on different issues. Unprompted, global warming is never in the top list of issues. Only when a pollster prompts someone to say, oh, right, I'm supposed to say that. No normal human being, no mum, no dad, no worker, no business owner, unprompted says, yeah, you know what's really worrying me these days? Uh, I'm not paying a carbon tax. It's BS. And the conservatives need their confidence. They don't have it. Here's the thing, Ezra. I agree with everything you've said. But a year and a half ago, I said, you know what? Andrew Scheer has 18 months to win me over. And then I said, Andrew Scheer has a year to win me over. And then I said, Andrew Scheer has half a year to win me over. And now we're, what, four months away from the election? As they say in the uh, sports broadcasting uh, business, the clock is becoming a factor. Uh, This conservatism that you speak of, Ezra, these issues that appeal to the base, is Andrew Scheer going to have that come to Jesus moment? Or is it, as you said earlier, is this more Trudeau light that he's going to serve up? And I think those are self-inflicted wounds for him achieving any kind of majority, if that's what he's hoping for. Well, we've talked about this before. Andrew Scheer has never had a real political fight in his life. Correct. He was elected uh, at a very young age, um, and then he almost immediately got on the track to be the Speaker of the House. Yes. So he was not in any real battles. He never had a tough fight at home. He was never challenged in his nominations. He had never had a tough opponent. And his entire career in Parliament, he never answered a question in question period. He never fielded a tough question in a media scrum. So he's never had a fight. Now you might say, well, he beat Maxime Bernier in the conservative leadership. Right, but there was only a couple of debates and they were like 14-person debates that really wasn't, no one knew who the finalists were until the voting, complicated voting system spat it out at the end. So he, he won in my assessment because he was everyone's second choice. He was the least controversial person, so people went first for a Kelly Leach or for a, a Maxime Bernier, and then when everyone's favorite candidate dropped out, they said, well, uh, who do I like? Well, that Andrew Scheer seems nice enough. That is how he won, and that's in keeping with his 10-year history as the Speaker or the Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons. 
that will not be how it is in October. Yeah. Because not only, I mean, we haven't seen Justin Trudeau fight back yet. We haven't Good seen point. the 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollar campaign. We haven't seen the 100 uh, third party campaign groups, Unifor, all the environmental groups, all the teachers unions. We haven't seen them yet. We haven't seen the media party kick into high gear with their 600 million dollar bailout. And the idea of just standing there smiling and hoping that your other 13 opponents will fall, which is the strategy that worked yeah. in a low conflict, bizarre rules, conservative leadership, that will not happen federally. And, they will, and the idea of, well, just say nothing, be inoffensive, just be quiet. Oh, Michael Cooper said something that maybe coulda, shoulda, be embarrassing. Uh, fire him. Um, Lisa Raitt said something on Twitter. Make her delete it. Uh, Section 13 censorship provision coming back to the Human Rights Act. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. That works when you're in a 14-person race for conservative leader with weird rules. Yeah. When it's you or Trudeau in a death match, that will not work. And, you know, I agree with you, Ezra. I think we're going into the summer slumber season. As of post-Labor Day, I think that tsunami you speak of, of all these special interest groups going after Sheer, that's when it's really going to hit. And uh, I don't think he's prepared for it. And when I look at, just to tie it back to what Lisa Raitt tweeted and deleted and apologized for, when you look at it, as you point out in your commentary, it is such innocuous stuff. Yeah. She's she's quoting a, a, a Financial Post article in one. Um, in, in another, she's stating something that... Uh, I don't see where the crime is. I mean, if you have to claw back and dial back this kind of moderate debate, well, what are you going to do with, when it comes to the really big controversial issues? You know, I, I don't subscribe to the political rule of thumb, never apologize, never explain. I don't. Yeah. Because occasionally, you do something you should apologize for. And occasionally, you do have to explain something. The liberals take the never apologize, never explain point of view. On SNC-Lavalin, I, I was stunned by, they just would not admit, they just said, no, we're doing the right thing, yeah. and we still might give them a deferred prosecution. In the end, that's going to prosecution. But there is something to be said about that strategy, because if you brazen it out, if you tough it out, if you never admit anything, it's like a staring contest, who will blink first? And maybe the other side does. I don't think that's a good way to run a country, but the opposite, always apologize, always explain, is just as bad. Mm. And what it does is it sets the threshold, the standard, the expectation for what you will now uh, fire people over or discipline people over. So do you think, I mean, you, you make a good point that what Lisa Wright was actually tweeting about was Ross McKittrick, yes. a true... A uh, PhD scholar of global warming, writing in the Financial Post, a reputable paper, if that is something that you will discipline your deputy leader about, well, that is such a low bar that you've got 338 people who are going to be running for the Conservative Party in the fall. Um, 100 of them, for sure, will be outside that teeny tiny acceptable Overton window. And what, what they did to Michael Cooper, what they did to Lisa Raitt, if that is how narrow the bandwidth of acceptable commentary and opinion, and the media couldn't get away with that on their own, the liberals couldn't get away with that on their own, the only person who could have that kind of tiny bandwidth rule 
is for the party to do it to themselves. Andrew Scheer has done that to his own party. He has teed up the standard for um, hundreds of stories of, oh my God, you should see what this conservative candidate tweeted in 2009 (laughs) about global warming. Like, do you doubt that there is something like that on hundreds of conservative candidates and instead of saying, yes, yeah, so what? Or, you know, we have an range of, range of opinions. Or, yeah, you know, generally that's in sync with our policy. Instead of just being calm and never apologize, never explain. Actually, that was a little bit of explain there. Yeah. Instead of just, like the liberals never, the, the liberals have in their cabinet right now a criminal yep. named Miriam Monsef. I call her a criminal because she broke the law. She lied on her refugee application form, which is a fraud. She by legal right, ought not even to be a Canadian citizen. She sits in cabinet. She lied. She said she was from uh, Afghanistan instead of Iran. They never apologized for that. They never explained for that. And she's still there. And could you imagine Andrew Scheer saying, well, I'm going to apologize for everything and explain everything while those brazen crooks in the Liberal Party get away with everything? When was the last time a Liberal was fired for corruption or theft. I mean, Bev Oda was sacked from cabinet for his $16 orange juice. I mean, it's laughable now. Um, You know what Andrew Scheer reminds me of, and it breaks my heart? Jeb Bush. Mm. Low energy Jeb, sad Jeb, always explaining, except for Jeb had money and a a famous name. You you gotta give Jeb that. Everyone knew the Bush last name. Andrew Scheer is, Jeb Bush would have gotten massacred by Hillary Clinton. It took a Donald Trump to push back. I don't think we need quite a Donald, there's only one Donald Trump in the world. But maybe we can learn a little bit from Donald Trump. Stop apologizing, stop explaining, push back a little bit, and don't throw your own people under the bus. I think you just gave seven figures of political advice, Andrew <laughs> Scheer, Ezra. Thank you so much. we got to wrap it here. And, you know, Mr. Scheer, i got to tell you, when you end up with nicknames like Mr. Charisma, in a facetious sense, liberal light, that means your conservative base isn't buying what you're selling. So you better start thinking about selling something that actually appeals to conservatives. Uh, more of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. government is hiring a special advisor to Venezuela. Here's the tender on the Government of Canada procurement's website. It reads, the Department of Foreign Affairs, Trade and Development has a requirement for a one-person special advisor on Venezuela. The political, social, and economic situation in Venezuela is complex and continues to deteriorate. Canada is playing a critical role regionally and globally in efforts to support the interim government and increase pressure on the illegitimate government that continues to perpetuate violence, unrest, and deprivation and refuses to return the country to constitutional order. The Americas branch of Global Affairs Canada is responsible for coordinating Canada's response to the crisis, including by supporting ministerial level, bilateral, regional and multilateral engagement. This really is, though, just a reappointment of a position the government of Canada first contracted for in April of 2018. The remuneration 
is $200,000 for just 240 days of work. Nice work if you can get it. The only hitch is that you must think that somehow the communist dictatorship of Cuba is essential to democracy in Venezuela, which is a sentence even crazier when said out loud than when I first typed it into my computer. But it was also even crazier when Canada's foreign affairs minister, Christian Freeland, said it with a straight face in a press conference. Wow. Well, the Liberals do have one thing right vis-a-vis -vis that tender seeking a special advisor on Venezuela, namely, quote, the political, social and economic situation in Venezuela is complex and continues to deteriorate, end quote. Hmm. That being the case, does anyone, even card-carrying liberals, have any confidence whatsoever that Team Trudeau will be remotely competent when it comes to picking an advisor who can deal with such complexities? In fact, it says here that the list of potential professional and impartial candidates is pretty much zero given that the candidate must actually pledge that the communist dictatorship in Cuba is essential to fostering democracy in Venezuela. Well, here's one thing that isn't complex at all. You want to usher in democracy in any regime, then you purge it of communism because like a cobra and a mongoose, the two are incompatible despite what Christian Freeland and Justin Trudeau might think. And with more on a federal government initiative that is pricey, unwanted, unneeded, and undoubtedly doomed to failure is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, it is always a pleasure. So, Sheila, I wonder if Mama Freeland is going to give her kids, get her kids, that is, to make her a T-shirt with a slogan on it, kind of like the one she wore to Washington for the NAFTA talks. How about something with a little alliteration like, communism is cool. Although, if she does board a plane to Caracas, I hope she's bringing along a suitcase of toilet paper with her. That's just one of the commodities that's scarce in this communist utopia. What's your take on this, Sheila? You want an alliteration? Um, U.S. <laughs> National Security Advisor John Bolton had a great one. He called Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela the troika of tyranny. Let's put that on a shirt for Christia Freeland. I mean, this is really quite crazy that she thinks that Cuba has a role in restoring democracy to Venezuela. That's like saying China's got a role to play in dis in restoring democracy to North Korea. Do you know the relationship the the relationship right now between Cuba and Venezuela? Venezuela sends Cuba subsidized crude to keep to prop up their tyrannical dictatorship and in return right now, at least according to the Americans, Cuba has sent 20 to 25,000 communist shock troops to be on the ground in Venezuela to put down the populist uprising for freedom happening there right now against Maduro. And these are the guys that Christian Freeland thinks are going to be essential in restoring democracy. The Cubans have no memory of democracy anymore. It's been that long under tyranny. You know, Sheila, something you said there, um, and I'm not even joking in a, in a sense about um, China trying to um, help North Korea. 
with its uh, democracy. Um, I could see Justin Trudeau signing off on that. We know from his own words that he admires China uh, because this is one of those dictatorships that can get things done, right? Yeah, I mean, but isn't that the foreign policy of this government? We've gone from a principled foreign policy under Stephen Harper that was motiva- motivated by, you know, human rights, um, the infectious spread of democracy and maternal and baby health in the developing world to a foreign policy right now that coddles and sympathizes with dictators. And when they're not coddling and sympathizing with them, they're basically rolling over and doing whatever the dictators want to do, as we've seen with Jean Chrétien's suggestions with what to do with China. I mean, let's. how can we forget the international embarrassment caused by Justin Trudeau when he sort of eulogized Castro when he died. It put Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz right through the roof Mm -hmm. over that, Um, both of them of Cuban heritage, whose families had suffered greatly under Castro. I mean, it is just the way the liberals operate. They have no moral compass when it comes to dealing with dictators. No, they don't. And on this issue specifically, Sheila, this idea of this you know, $200,000 consulting job for 240 days of work, as you pointed out. And you've got to sign off that, yeah, I'm up with communism, man. I think it's good. What it reminds me of is going back to, remember the the summer jobs program, the federal summer jobs program, the attestation that you had to sign, basically saying that, you know, you are pro-abortion and how that would fly in the, the face of um, several faith groups. This idea of that if you want a job, if you want a grant, you have to think, <clears throat> pardon me, just as we think, uh, that we're all about diversity as our strength, but not really diversity of thought, right? No, that's absolutely it. This really is a repetition of the summer jobs grant where you have to sign an attestation to the Liberal Party values as opposed to the values most Canadians hold of freedom, free thought, democracy, um, and the free exchange of ideas. Instead, you've got to basically um, agree that Cuba is a force for good instead of a tyrannical force for evil. But I'm probably under the suspicion that this person, whoever they might be, who will be working for $200,000 a year or not even a year, 240 days, what are the chances that they are on the ground in Caracas? Mm. I highly doubt it. I'll bet they'll be in Ottawa um, on the phone to people in Caracas, people with the Venezuelan regime, but they won't spend a lot of time in Caracas, I don't think. And, you know, I can already hear the outrage from the uh, sword on campus that wear the Che Guevara T-shirts, Sheila, that, um, oh, you're so down on communism. It, it's not the ideology that's at fault. It's the implementation. Well, you know something? <clears throat> when it comes to communism, the world over in the history of communism, what you see is what you get. That is the playbook of communism. It is completely averse to individual rights, to uh, uh, the, the, the pursuit of uh, capitalist thought. And this is what you end up with, a country like Venezuela, where there's actually a commodity sh- uh, shortage of just about everything, including toilet paper, for goodness sakes. Including oil. 
including oil, and they have some of the world's largest oil reserves. The death of people in the implementation of communism is a feature, not a bug. Now, they can say that the execution of communism is wrong and everybody keeps getting it wrong, but it's a feature. It's built in. And a lot of people will argue, no, Sheila, Venezuelan, uh, the Venezuelan government, it's socialism not communism. Well, Venezuelan socialism is a slow march to communism. And so the people aren't dying as fast as they normally do uh, in communism, but they're dying and they're going to end up there unless the the rest of the world, including uh, Canada, acts to stand uh, for democracy. And right now it doesn't look like that's the Canadian foreign policy. Indeed. And Sheila, we'll wrap up one last question. And that is, I mean, I look at this as much ado about nothing, even though it's going to cost the taxpayer $200,000. There seems to be such a presumption at play here that, oh, we here in Ottawa, we're going to hire this uh, communist-friendly advisor and we'll, we'll get you Venezuelans uh, to fix the system uh, in the months ahead. I mean, this, this is unfixable from, from our point of view. And it makes you wonder why we're even going through this in the first place. I mean, I don't quite get the virtue signaling because this government is all about virtue signaling. But on this one, I just can't connect the dots. I, I think there's a passive aggressive anti-Americanism in this. <laughs> yes. And I think it goes all the way back to old man Trudeau when he broke the embargo instead of standing with our American allies. Um, it, you know, Canadians can travel to Cuba while Americans didn't permit their people to travel to Cuba. Um, it, it it seems to me that whatever side of this that Donald Trump is going to be on, the Canadians just choose the other side. Evidence and morals be damned. You know what, Sheila? I think you nailed it. I completely forgot about the anti-American agenda. It is a passive-aggressive policy. What do you mm -hmm. know? Sheila, thanks again. Another great commentary from you. Great, David. Have a great weekend. You too. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed in Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Because the earth is going to fry and there's not going to be a future for our grandchildren. But you know, I, I look at all the things you have, the stroller, the umbrellas, all your badges, they all came out of the product of fossil fuels, did they not? That's right, and I've been doing this for 29 years, and I've been collecting them for 29 years. Okay, so it's a bit hypocritical to campaign against fossil fuels when you use them. It's not a bit hypocritical at all. When did we become aware of this? The fact that it was identified in the late 19th century doesn't mean that the rest of the public, like us, became aware of it then. I became aware of it through David Suzuki. You know, that's a great name to bring up. Why is it the climate crusaders like David Suzuki, Al Gore, they have a carbon footprint that is several times larger than the average North American? Is there a little hypocrisy there? No, because how are they going to do their work if they don't? I'm not sure I understand. How do you mean? They're going to make their films and have their public appearances to persuade people. Can't they do teleconferencing instead of taking a private jet to Australia? I'm sure David does lots of that. It just seems to me that they... I think what you're doing is a cheap attack. He's one of the most effective people. If you watch the nature of things, it shows what is happening to our Earth. 
Alrighty then, that was one of the deep thinkers who commandeered an intersection at rush hour on Monday in downtown Toronto. A handful of flaky faith leaders and something called Extinction Rebellion thought that the best way to address the so-called climate emergency it, that is allegedly underway, of course, was to set up a blockade of a major thoroughfare and inconvenience thousands of commuters. Yeah, what a way to reach out to the people and get them to support your cause by making them miserable regarding your make-believe rubbish. In any event, here's what some of you had to say about another failed stunt by those who comprise the lunatic fringe of the environmental movement. All Tilt writes, Let's block the intersection. Cars will pile up and idle off emissions. That is progress. Indeed, All Tilt, it is progress if progress means that you want to do something that is ultimately self-defeating. People who are just trying to get home for supper or were going to the Raptors game were royally peeved. Meanwhile, the worst kind of emissions are those that are emitted from an idling engine. So really, what an awesome communication strategy. I think he wants to communicate. G. Lewis writes, all of them wearing rain gear derived from petroleum, the irony. Oh, not just rain gear, Mr. Lewis, but every imaginable piece of technology, courtesy of the oil industry, was there on full display. So either those folks are just utter hypocrites, or they are blind to the irony, or both, or maybe they just don't get it. Hey, Dada, wait a minute. They're trying to pull a fast one on me, hey? Dada, well, he can't outsmart me, because I'm a moron. Alan Mulryan, 20, writes, looks more like the crazy cat lady convention than a protest. Oh, Alan, on the behalf of all crazy cat ladies the world over, I think you should retract that remark. This climate change emergency was way more crazy than any feline female fan gal. I just don't see the reason for any further violence, especially since my side is losing. Holy weaponry. Well, just like the protest, that was catastrophic. Makes you want to slink away into the catacombs. Quite the catalyst, wouldn't you say? Okay, enough already with the corny cat puns already. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thank you so much for joining us. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.